podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Funded Podcast. Today is Friday, the 27th of August. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access anything you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops over on Etsy. Just download the Etsy app to your phone and search EPL Index or Anfield Index for all the latest merch. Right, folks. Um, transfers are going mental. Real Madrid are in negotiations with Paris Saint-Germain for Kylian Mbappe. And the fee is rumoured to be in the region of €170 million, plus add-ons. Real say this will be their final bid. I think it's the third bid they've made. PSG are in a position where they either take this now, accept defeat on Mbappe, or lose him for nothing next summer. It is very, very clear that he is going to Real Madrid one way or another. I think... PSG are mad not to take the money. Like it, it represents a loss on what they paid for him, which is strange, but he does have only one year left on his deal. But realistically, you can't... I know they have all the money in the world, but they don't need money, but you can't just let a £200 million asset, which is what he is, walk out the door for nothing. Get something. Even if it's not full value, get something and turn that something into something else. Now, rumours are, and I think Matt Law has reported this this morning in the Telegraph, that PSG will sell Mbappe and look to buy Erling Haaland. Now, Chris Williams, friend of the show, has said that PSG would have to ask Real Madrid to make the entire Mbappe bank transfer payable to Borussia Dortmund to get Haaland now, basically saying they would want the same amount of money as uh, PSG are getting for Mbappe. He's also said openly in the past that the French league doesn't interest him, and Dortmund told Chelsea he's not for sale at all. Now, he does contradict himself in a follow-up tweet, saying Dortmund put Chelsea off by saying it would take £175 million to get Haaland. That was in July. So they didn't tell him he was not for sale. They told him he was for sale at a price that was very, very high. Um... Look, I think I think if PSG offered that money to Dortmund, 175, 180 million euro, Dortmund would have to take it. Because next summer his buyout kicks in and it's 75 million pounds. So that's about 90 million more they could make by selling him now. And they could very quickly turn around and buy another attacking player to fill that void. Now, it's not going to be a Haaland. It's not going to be someone of his ilk. But Moise Keane could be an option for him. Everton want to sell. Now, he's been linked with, Real, with, with Juventus. Juventus don't really have the money at the moment. They may have. We'll get to that. But Dortmund could make a quick offer. They've got a track record of developing strikers. They could guarantee Keane a starting position, which is what he would want. And maybe they can steal a march and get him there and still have an enormous bag of money left over. If we see in the next couple of days Mbappe move and Haaland move, I mean, it would be absolutely phenomenal to see these two players move teams at, at the same time. It would throw a spanner in Real's plans. And the other reason for PSG to go and buy Haaland is because that's what Real plan to do next summer. 
get Mbappe now, Haaland next summer, pair them up, Bob's your uncle and away you go. There's been a lot of reports that Real have an agreement in place with Mino Raiola for Erling Haaland next summer. That they'll pay his release clause at Dortmund. They've got personal terms already worked out. Obviously a massive agent fee to Mino. If Real can pull that off, everybody's in trouble. However, if Haaland goes to PSG, even if the French League doesn't really interest him, just to go there for a couple of years, you can rest assured that Mino will get him out of there whenever he wants to get him out of there. But also, it will be an opportunity to play with Messi and Neymar. And I don't know if he'd turn that down. Forget the league and look at the players he'd have around him. He might enjoy the opportunity to play with Messi and Neymar. And imagine how many goals he could score in that league with those two creating for him. He could get 50 in the league without breaking much of a sweat. That's the type of force he is. And that's the type of creativity he'd have around him. Now, Moise Keane as a potential replacement is obviously just an idea. He could be going to Juventus. And the reason he could go to Juventus is because Cristiano Ronaldo has told Juventus he wants to leave. I believe Juventus are very happy about this news because they have actively been trying to get him out the door all summer long. They're only asking for a £30 million transfer fee, and even that's quite cheeky. But Cristiano has now said he wants to leave. He's not training with them anymore. He's not going to play this weekend. And the rumoured move is to the Premier League, to Manchester City. Now, this has obviously caused quite a bit of commotion, largely among Manchester United fans, and we'll get to them. But for Cristiano to go to City, he would be what they had hoped Harry Kane would be, which is that centre-forward. He would play as the number nine for them. He would replace Aguero and he'd be a source of goals for them. Now, you can't expect that he'll do anything else because he doesn't do anything else anymore other than score goals. That's literally all he does. And that's fine. If you can fit him into your team and he'll score you goals, that's fine. Is he ideal? No. Does he fill the void the way Kane would have? No, because he doesn't have Kane's creativity or all-round play anymore. Cristiano is very much a one-trick pony at the moment, but that's fine. He's 36 and he's still banging in goals left and right. You look at, even though the time at Juventus has to really be considered a failure, not necessarily his fault, more the club's fault, but he was brought to win the Champions League and he hasn't delivered. Again, not his fault, the club's fault, but 134 games, 101 goals. It's still a remarkable record. Not quite as remarkable as the 450 Eight goals in 438 games he managed at um, Real Madrid, but still incredible. Now, United fans are up in arms and they're talking about betrayal and how could you go to them when United made you? How could you do this to Fergie? Let me lay this out in the only way I know how to do it. Cristiano Ronaldo left Manchester United in 2009. 12 years ago, he left. He was at United for six years. He has been gone over double that time. Now, you may still have behaved like he was your player. But I will guarantee he hasn't given you a second thought since he left and went to Real Madrid. He used you as a stepping stone. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, it worked out very well for both parties. United won three league titles, an FA Cup, two league cups, and a Champions League with Cristiano at the club. But for him, it was all about getting that move to Real Madrid. He would go on to Real and win two league titles, two Copa del Reyes, four Champions League titles. So he won back-to-back back back league titles at Juve when he joined them. For him, it's always been about him. Cristiano doesn't really care about the club or the teammates. He cares about Cristiano. And that's what separates, well, one of the reasons that people prefer Lionel Messi is that Messi's always been about the team. Cristiano's always been about himself. But Again, just to reiterate, he left 12 years ago. You freaks. 
why are you still talking about a player who left 12 years ago as if he's still your own? He didn't come through your academy. He came through the sporting academy. You bought him. And you then sold him for a massive profit. He owes you nothing. He has no connection to your club anymore. He left 12 years ago. So stop acting like him going to Manchester City would be some great crime. It wouldn't at all. He's just another player that came through your club for a period of time, left, went on to bigger and better things, and is now looking for the next move in his career. He doesn't owe Alex Ferguson anything. He doesn't owe Manchester United anything. In the same way, you don't owe it to him to buy him and bring him back. United fans' obsession with Cristiano over the years has always been one of the weirdest things in football. United fans have behaved as if this guy is only out on loan for a few years. Like, eventually he's coming back because he's ours. He was never yours. He was always his own. And he used you to get where he wanted to go. Real Madrid was the club he wanted to play for. Not Manchester United. He would have gone to Arsenal if Wenger had upped the bid. That's where he was going. You outbid Arsenal. He was going to go to Arsenal. So any stories about him having dreamt of playing for United are mythical. Twelve years ago he left and he's never looked back. He's always looked forward. He'd always looked for the next thing, the next trophy, the next award, the next move. That's why he's going to City, because if he joins City, he'll win things. He's not winning anything with United. He's not the difference between United finishing third and finishing first. But he could be the difference for City between finishing second and finishing first. So... United fans really need to take a step back, have a good long look in the mirror, maybe take them off outside, take themselves off outside for a walk and a wee chat with themselves, and stop behaving like some sort of jilted lover. Twelve years ago, get over it. Anyway, we could see Cristiano, we could see Mbappe, and we could see Haaland all move in the next couple of days. And that would be madness. We've, we'd never have, And Messi moved this summer as well. We've never had a transfer window like this. And it's been a generally a quiet transfer window as well, which makes it even funnier. Um, right, let's move on. Let's talk about the weekend. We have 10 Premier League games coming up. And joining me, as he does every Friday to preview them, is Mr Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm sure you agree, Dave, that a Jordan Henderson contract on deadline day tops all of it. <laughs> I'm going to throw you off now. <laughs> you love I'm going to bring in Gus Drinkle, oh dear. Your, le- your less evil twin, and have him do the podcast instead. I'm editing that out. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, David, let's get on with it. Um, first game then. Oh, God. Unfortunate Arsenal. Man City v Arsenal. Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously Man City don't have the physical presence of a Lukaku up front, which is good news for Arsenal's defence, but we've seen Man City cut teams open at will at times. I mean, there's only one way you can predict this, surely. Yeah, I mean, it's the Premier League champions against the Premier League's basket case. So there's a lot of players out for this game. Uh, Phil Foden is out. De Bruyne is out, but he was meant to be out for the first game of the season. He was somehow back. Yeah, it was weird. Um, Liam De is out, and then Benjamin Mendy is out. I'm not going to talk about why yeah. Benjamin Mendy is out. If you want to go and and look up why Benjamin Mendy is out, um, you can feel free to do so. But it's not something that I will be talking about on this podcast. So for Arsenal, they may have some issues. Thomas Partey is ruled out. Ben White has ruled out. He's got COVID now, apparently. Um, Hector Bellerin is back, though, so there's more bad news. Uh, Kieran Tierney's back, so that's good news. Willian has COVID, which, you know, considering they're trying to get rid of him, not ideal. Bakayo Saka, the hope 
they hope is back, or fit, I should say. And Gabriel will have a late fitness test. So a lot of issues for Arsenal throughout their team, defensively in midfield and in attack if, if Saka is out. There's no other way to look at this game other than City should win it comfortably. Um, City are really dominant against bad teams. And Arsenal, unfortunately for them, are a bad team. I think City could make Mikel Arteta's life at Arsenal uh, a short-lived one. I'm going to say that City absolutely wiped the floor with them and run out 3-0 winners. Does the 6-0 win over West Brom under-21s not change that then? No, no. As much as Arsenal fans and club might want to think that that's turning their season around, you literally played against West Brom's kids uh, with a few senior players coming back from injuries. It, the, the celebrations of that victory were mildly embarrassing for a club of your stature. Uh, the attempts to make out like Aaron Ramsdale was worthy of a man of the match consideration. He may even have been awarded man of the match. I didn't follow up on that. But you were playing against... That group of lads would largely qualify to play for a school team. So, you know, settle yourselves down. You're going to get walloped this weekend. Yeah, probably. Probably. But hey-ho. Man City have already lost a game. We might, might get another surprise. Uh, but we'll move on. Um, Villa against Brentford. Obviously, Villa have had the up-and-down start. And Brentford... Uh, well, I think they were last on match of the day last weekend. So it must have been boring against Crystal Palace. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, a bit of a... Mixed start for Villa, but Brentford have seemed to have taken to the Premier League quite well. Yeah, four points from their opening two games. Obviously, beat Arsenal and then that kind of nil-nil draw with, with uh, Palace last weekend. Good start for them, especially considering Sorensen and De Silva, two players in midfield who you would imagine will, will feature, uh, have both missed out. Uh, Matthias Jensen back in, in training. Don't know if he'll be ready for this one. Ethan Pinnock should be fine. Now, for Villa, there's some more issues here. Bertrand Traore ruled out. Leon Bailey ruled out. Ollie Watkins is back in training. He'll have a fitness test. He might make the bench. Uh, Trezeguet still out. Sanson still out. And Keenan Davies still out. So they are missing a lot of attacking talent, um, including two, I would imagine, will be starters in Bailey and Watkins. So I'm going to guess that we get Ashley Young on a wing, target at left back. That's not really ideal mm. uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Did they, but they I should think still have enough. Wesley today, didn't they as well? I believe Wesley has Bruges, gone alone. Yeah, it's back to Club Bruges, um, which is a good move for him. Back to you know, back to where he made his name, I suppose, in the in the Belgian league. Um, a good player, but wrong move. Struggled to settle in the Premier League. And then had the bad knee injury. Hopefully he can go back. He's only 24. Hopefully he goes back to Brazil or back to Bruges and can get his career back on track, get back scoring some goals. He's never been a huge goal scorer, but you know, he got 17 in his last season with Bruges. If he can get back to that type of form, maybe he can become a really valuable player for Villa moving forward. He's still got, I think, three years left in his contract. So you know, he's still he's still their player for the foreseeable. Um, I think Villa win this game, but I think it's going to be a close one. I'll go Villa 2-1. Yeah, I think it'll be tight as well. I mean, Brentford's defence looks quite spot on, really. It does. Um, moving on then, um, and this should be a good game, Brighton v Everton. Um, obviously, Brighton, I mean... <sighs> But is it Brighton or do you want to talk about Basuma? Because he dominated Watford like on his own at times last week. He did. He did. He absolutely ran all over that midfield. Um and that's that is what he does. He you know, he's a really good midfield player. That's why he's been linked with top clubs this summer. Now, Brighton have some injury issues. Veltman is out, Lamptey's still out, uh Dan Byrne is out, Sherpin is out. Welbeck is a doubt, Mwepo is a doubt, 
and Neil Mope will have a late fitness test. He he would be a big loss. Yeah, um, Connolly missed a sitter last weekend. He did, yeah. I mean, he, there's no excuse for missing that chance. For Everton, it will be a doubt, but hopefully comes through. He's got a bit of an abductor injury. Uh, James is not going to play for them ever again. Moise Keane is suspended, and Fabian Delph is out with a shoulder injury, I think. This is a tough one. Brighton started the season really well. Two wins from two. Everton, obviously, they came back against Southampton on the opening day. Then they threw away what should have been a win against Leeds when they were 2-1 up. Mm. Um, And then Rafinha scored that worldly. It's a tough one. It really is a tough one because... You know, they didn't look particularly good in midweek against Huddersfield. And Rafa played a, a fairly strong squad. Like, Holgate played, Keane played. Uh, it was good to see Gabamin get get game time. Iwobi played. Mm. Um, Michael Keane played as well. Tom Davies. So it was a decent enough team. It just didn't ever really seem to click for them. I'm going to go with a Brighton home win. I, I just feel like they've got more options at the minute than Everton and they're in good form and they're confident. I'll go another 2-1 home win uh, to Brighton. Mm. I mean, it's a shame for Brighton because weren't they relinked with Nunes from Benfica and didn't it depend if they got Champions League if he was going to sign or something like that? Darwin Nunes, yeah. yeah. that was. I think that was the, the thing. If If they got Champions League, they were going to keep him. If they didn't, um, they would. I think they would have to sell them because mm. just their finances would dictate that being the case. Now, in the end, they they knocked um, PSV, I think it was. PSV out, so they go through. So I think Brighton are back to square one. I don't understand why they haven't gone for Odson Edward mm. of Celtic. They've been linked with him all summer. He fits how they play. He's a really good finisher. And it look- would make sense. He'd also be very affordable because he's only got a year left in his contract. Mm. They loaned out Andoni, so they must have something prepared, you'd think. You'd hope so. You'd really hope so. And rumours are they're going to ro- loan out Andy Zakiri as well, who's another yeah. good young attacker. Um, they've got a lot of talent there. but I it... wonder if Celtic could take him in part of a deal. They might do. Celtic could take him on loan. Even if, if they offered him on loan to Celtic for, say, two years. Mm. As part of this deal, because I think Zakiri's better as a wide forward than he is as a nine. Now, Andy Naylor disagrees, but we saw what he picked as his Brighton players to keep and let go <laughs> the other day. So, you know, you'd, you'd put all of his opinions in a bin. Uh, he's a really good reporter, but dear God. Um, I would say if you offered 12 million and two years of Zakiri on loan, Celtic probably take it. And then you get him, you get Cucurella, who looks like it's going to get done. They've got his buyout clause agreed, I think, with Hitafe. So they got both of them in. Yeah, I think that'd be a fairly strong team. Play, say, Trossard and McAllister or Trossard and Mope behind Edward, Mwepu and Basuma in midfield, Cucurella and Lamptey as the wingbacks. I still think they're centre back short, but Veltman on the right of a three is is absolutely fine. So you go him, Dunk, and Webster. Mm. That's that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, could challenge for you know tenth, eleventh with that. Uh, Everton should finish above them this season, but Rafa's still kind of new, getting to know what he has, understanding the limitations of some of his players, and obviously got into this weekend as well. There's a lot of speculation around Richarlison mm. because the other name doing the rounds for PSG, if they can't get Haaland, is Richarlison. Now, that is a bit like, you know, going out to buy yourselves a Ferrari and coming home with a Toyota Prius. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a decent car. It could be a good car, but, it, you know, it's just it's not a Ferrari. Um, he's probably better than a Toyota Prius, in fairness. He's probably more like, I don't know. Mercedes. Subaru Impreza, maybe uh, uh, something like that, more of a rally car, kind of an all-purpose um, vehicle. Yeah, he's a, uh, Richardson's a good player, but 
He Dear calls God, himself the pigeon. I think a Subaru's probably about right. <laughs> yeah, to be fair. <laughs> um, anyway, I'll go Brighton two one. Uh, quick, I know. Uh, quick word on Luis Diaz. Is it they've been linked with? Yeah, uh, this would this would sicken me a little bit because I really like Luis Diaz and I would very much like him at Liverpool. Um, had a really impressive Copa America for Colombia. He's a little bit mental. He's a little bit unpredictable. Um, largely plays from the left, which is a weird one for Rafa because he normally likes a left footer on the left. But with Dina, the the combination could be good. He's a really good player. He's he's still a bit raw. He's still a bit inconsistent. But I definitely take the gamble on him personally if the price is decent. And if it means you can get rid of Hamez as well and send him over there, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what way Rafa will play it. Whether he'll stick with the four-two-three-one or go to a four-three-three. But if he went four-three-three with Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, and Diaz, that'd be pretty strong. That'd be a pretty strong front three. He can also obviously play Richarlison as sort of a ten, Diaz from the left. And go with a Wobie from the right with Calvert Lewin up front, mm. but you still need to address that right back situation because you'll get good delivery from Dina, but you're really going to need good delivery from the other side as well. A Wobie's a decent crosser, not a particularly great crosser. They need to address right back as well. But if they can sell Keane and turn Keane in, I think they should keep Keane personally, but it does appear like that relationship is over. But if they could sell Keane and get Diaz plus a decent right-back in, like, I don't understand why someone hasn't made a move for Ridley Baku just yet. He's a really good player. Now, I know Wolfsburg have Champions League football, but I still think he's going to be available this summer because Wolfsburg's method is to buy players, develop them, and sell them. And if they can make a good profit, they'll take it. So... Maybe Ridley Baku could be available. I mean, they could still go back for Max Ahrens. I know the price would be fairly high, but you've got to back Raf at some point. And the price for Ahrens won't be much more, or if it's even more than the price they'd get from Moise Keane. So, yeah, I think I think Everton still have work to do in the next couple of days. Um, even if they get Diaz in, they've still got more work to do. But Diaz would be a good signing for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, for Rafa's sake, not Everton. <laughs> um We'll move on then to Newcastle v Southampton. Um, Newcastle had a, I don't know, a weirdly manic start to the season. Uh, the mad game against West Ham and then the Villa game, apart from... Is it even VR, VR controversy now? It was just offside. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Southampton um, lost the first game, but then a good point against United. Um, it's, a, it's a tough one, this, because I think... Expect expectations are low for both in this season, aren't they? But yeah, what do you say? Well, thing? if Newcastle play like they did in midweek, they will lose because they were horrendous in the League Cup. Um, whereas Southampton won eight nil. Now you factor in they were playing in a team that most of us never heard of. Um, well, they're playing Newport, so it is a team we've heard of. Um, Newcastle have been weird for a long time. But this season, they're particularly weird. You know, you look at that Villa game and there was just aspects of it that made no sense in terms of how they were playing. The same thing against against West Ham. Like, they go one up, then they go two one up. And then it's just complete capitulation. Just all over the place defensively. Like, you're a defensive team who can't defend. Like, how, how can you set your team up? to play defensive football and then have them so disorganised, they really, really annoy me. They really, really annoy me. I, I'd very much like Steve Bruce to be gone. I don't like to wish for anyone to get sacked, but I'd very much like Steve Bruce to be gone and be replaced by a competent manager who actually wants to play some sort of progressive football or even Dyche. Dyche is a great manager who'd go there and turn that club around. He'd get them regularly top half he'd be pushing for Europe with a decent bit of backing even with the players they have and one or two additions I should have them pushing for Europe um Bruce is just it actually hurts my head to think about 
the type of football we, we are forced to watch from this Newcastle team. Um, Southampton are weird as well. I mean, you know, they went one up against against New, uh, sorry, against Everton, then threw that one away, um, but did manage to hold on and get the point against United. And they should have won that game because Armstrong should have scored the winner. Mm. Twice. It's a long, <laughs> long, long, long trip for Southampton up there. It's a long way from Southampton to Newcastle. They'll probably and that fly is, up, you'd presume. Even at that, it's yeah, well. That's the thing, like. They will. They almost certainly will fly up, but it's still a long way to go for a yeah. game of football, you know. Um, and I like. I just don't know that flying before a game is necessarily, you know, a good thing for you. Um, it's better than a twenty-hour bus journey. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> um, the tune have a few injuries, which is concerning. So Dubravka's out, Shelby's out, Hayden is a doubt, Saint Maximum is a doubt, Dumit is a doubt. Carl Darlow's out and Elliot Anderson is out. For Southampton, Armstrong's a doubt. McQueen and Smallbone are out. They wouldn't play anyway. Is but that Adam Armstrong, Armstrong or Adam Stuart? Armstrong. Sorry, no, uh, Stuart Armstrong. Okay. Stuart Armstrong. But I kind of like Southampton's chances in this one. Mm. This is tough. I do kind of like Southampton's chances in this one. Because Newcastle have just been so poor defensively in all three games that I've watched. And the only player going forward that worries anybody is Sim Maximum. And he's clearly not going to be at 100%, even if he's fit to play, because he does have that that foot injury. I'll go for a draw, because just giving Newcastle something with the home advantage. But I, I if, if, if a team wins this game, I do think it'll be Southampton, but I'll go for a draw. Yeah, I was edging towards draw as well. Um, moving on then to Norwich v Leicester. I mean, Norwich had well, it doesn't really get any. It gets a bit easier, but not too much easier. They've had a horrid start to the season with Liverpool, then Man City, um, Leicester. Have they won? They've won both games, haven't they? Yeah. No, they got walloped by West Ham. Oh yes, of course. They beat Wolves yes. 1-0, didn't look particularly good, and Adama could have scored a couple of goals. And then they got walloped by West Ham because Aosi Perez is an idiot. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They've also got a ton of injuries. So Perez is suspended, Yannick Vestigard is injured, Johnny Evans is injured, Ryan Bertrand is injured, James Justin is injured, Wes Fafana is injured, and Nampali's Mendy is injured. So again, mm-hmm. we're going to see we're going to see a Marty most likely at centre back. Um, when he has been shocking the last two games. Soyuncu hasn't been any better, yeah. um, but at least he is a centre-back. Um, I, I I don't know what to make of Leicester at the minute. They just, they look really, they look like a really strange team when they play at the minute. Mm. Like, they didn't get much luck in their, uh, their Europa League draw either. Um, Napoli, Spartak, Moscow, and I can't think who the third team is, but it's not an easy draw at all. Uh, this is the Martin O'Neill derby. I don't know if you're aware of that. This is the Martin O'Neill derby. Oh, do you? Um, and there's a... a... Distaste, I suppose, is the word that would go go for it. So, O'Neill took the Norwich job back in, like, June of 95. And quit like six months later because he fell out with the with the chairman because he wanted to sign Dean Windass and the chairman wouldn't fund the fund the thing. Mm. So he just left immediately joined <laughs> joined Leicester. Uh, having signed a four or five year contract. Because he was like yeah. when he was at when O'Neill came through came through as a manager was at Wickham Wanderers and he did really, really well with them and was like the hot managerial property, the young managerial property, a bit like, Eddie say, Rodgers was at Swansea, or, yeah, Eddie Howe, um, prior to, obviously, things going down the toilet, or, you know, Graham Potter, or whoever. He he was mm. that at the time. Norwich got him, and it was, like, a big coup for them to get him. He played for Norwich as well, so he had, like, a history there. And then he was there six months. There was grumblings all along the way that he wasn't happy with how things were done. And then, yeah, he wanted to sign Dean Windass and the chairman whose surname, is I think it was Chase. I think it was Chase. He wouldn't fund the deal. 
and O'Neill spat the dummy, threw the toys straight from the pram, quit, and literally was Leicester manager, I think, within a week. So there's been a lot of distaste over the years that, you know, Leicester had tapped him up and the, the whole Dean Windass thing was just a was just a front basically to um to get himself out of the uh the Norwich job because he wanted to go to Leicester. But um yes, yeah, so this is the Martin O'Neill Derby. Lovely. Now Norwich had a great win during the week. Six nil over Bournemouth. A decent Bournemouth team as well, not a team of kids like Arsenal played. And a couple of the new guys got goals. Uh, Solis got two. Sargent got two. They played really good football. They looked really fun going forward. I think they might get a point here. Because Leicester, Mm. without most of their defenders, are a little bit all over the place. Norwich caused Liverpool some problems. Now they got walloped by City. And they're going to get walloped a few times this season. Because just defensively, the centre-backs aren't particularly good. They're okay. They're good championship centre-back, but it's Premier League level. They're a little bit a little bit below what where you'd want them ben to be. Ben Gibson never developed on his Borough season, did he? No, that's the thing. He didn't. He went to Burnley, a lot of expectations, and it just didn't work. He couldn't get the jersey off Ben Mee. He was Mee. really good for Borough as well. Yeah, they were up as well. He was really, really good. Like he When mm. he was coming through, he looked like this, this kid could play for England, like. Mm. He was um, linked with City, wasn't he? I think. Yeah, he was linked yeah. with City. He was linked with Liverpool for a while. Um, he was linked with someone. I think he was linked with Arsenal as well. Well, but that'd make more sense. <laughs> that's, that's probably why he's... He probably, they're know, probably linked the, with him now. Arsenal probably sucked all the talent out of him. He probably started um, with Arsenal now, to be fair. Yeah, to be fair. I mean, Pablo Mari's no great shakes. <clears throat> um, Pablo Mari's still sitting in a corner crying after what Lukaku did to him last week. I, I think I'm going to give Norwich a draw here. I think I'm going to go 2-2. Because Norwich won't keep a clean sheet, I don't think. Because their defence isn't mm. good enough. But I don't think Leicester can either. Mm. I mean, a, a word on that. I mean, Amati's Amati. But Sionchu, the year after Maguire left, was, the well, apart from Van Dijk, was the best centre-back in the league. Or, yeah. what that, it, can't, it can't just be that Rod, it's Rodgers. Truly something's gone wrong with Sionchu. Yeah, there's definitely something's gone. Whether or not he thought, you know, he was going to get a big move and whether it's just sort of, you know, because he's seen teammates leave. He saw Slabhead leave. He saw Chilwell leave. And maybe he thought he'd be kind of out the door last summer after a great season. It didn't happen. Like, in their first year where they collapsed under Rodgers, he was the only thing holding them together in the second half of the season. Last season, he really struggled. Mm. Like, he was great for the first half of the season, um, though he missed a bunch of games with injuries. And then, towards the end of the season, he just he just didn't look himself at all. He was misjudging the flight of balls. He was in the wrong position constantly. He's not the quickest player, but normally he's he's got really good position and he's just where he needs to be. And he times things really well. And all of that seemed to go last year. Now, some of it, I think, is he got used to playing a certain way with Johnny Evans and he got into a certain rhythm mm. with Evans. And Evans, despite his... Could Evans talk him through games, maybe? That's that's the thing. I, Evans isn't a great defender, but he's a good, solid defender and a really good talker. Like, Evans is a very, very good organiser. It's, it's what has made Johnny Evans' career, for the most part is that ability to just yap and yap and yap. It's one of the reasons United kept him for so long, was that they knew that they could put Evans in with anybody, and he would just talk and talk and talk through the game. And a lot of players really respond well to him, because he's not a scream, like, he doesn't go and bellow in your face. He's just talking to you, letting you know where everybody is, what's going on, tends to stand that half yard off and just get a view of the pitch, and he talks everybody else through things. And unfortunately, I think Sionchu really misses that. Now, there were signs when it was Sionchu and Fafana that their skill sets were going to link really, really well. But I think they need someone else in that back line then to be the talker. It's not Ricardo Pereira. I think James Justin is still a little bit young. Uh, Castanier is not a big talker. What you'd really like to see is Casper Schmeichel be a little bit more vocal to his centre-backs in a positive way. See, he's got his dad's thing of just screaming at people. Mm. And 
just a lot of players don't respond well to that. You, you'll remember when when Jamie Carragher retired, Skirtle had the best season of his career the next year. Yeah. And he was asked about it, and he said, I didn't like playing with Carragher because he used to scream at me, whereas Daniel Agger talks to me during games. Mm. Agger was brilliant at that. Agger was a brilliant organiser. Constant yapping, talking to everybody, letting them know where they were, but in a positive way, and like even just a conversational way at times. There was stories with Agger be having a bit of a laugh with opposition strikers and saying, oh, no, you push on, you push on, this guy can't do anything against me, stuff like that. But it was it was confidence boosting. It was helping those around him. Um, I, I I do think with Sionchu, he he just he needs Evans or someone like that next to him to guide him through games because I I don't think he's I he, don't think he's really kicked on himself in that regard. He's a Vestergaard talker. I, he doesn't come across as one. Not really. No, no. At Leicester, it was it was Bednarak who did a lot of the talking, and even at that. Bednarak's not a big talker as well. Vestergaard looked best in a three. Stevens looks like the loud one. Stevens, yeah. yeah. Um, and if you see him at international level playing in the back three, it is largely Simon Carr and Andreas Christensen who are the talkers. Mm. And Vestergaard is just sort of the follower. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure how that's going to work, to be honest. I'd also like to point out that Wesley Fana right side centre back, Vestergaard, left side centre back. Once again, Brendan Rodgers has bought a centre back who doesn't play the position he wants filled and thinks he's just going to be able to slot him in and it'll work perfectly. And like Vestergaard isn't that good to begin with. So moving across Sionchu can't do much worse for his form to be fair. <laughs> no, that's true. You could move Sionchu, but he, he from from Freiburg to, to Leicester, he's played left side, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've seen him play right side, mm-hmm. maybe for Turkey once or twice, but certainly not for Freiburg or, or for Leicester. Um, we leave it at that. We leave those five games there, and we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll rattle through the other five. Seen a few. Right, welcome back. We are previewing and predicting the weekend's games. I'm joined by Guy Drinkle. So far, we've had Man City to win 3-0, Villa to win 2-1, Brighton to win 2-1, a 1-1 draw with Newcastle and Southampton, and a 2-2 draw in the Martin O'Neill derby between Norwich and Leicester. What have we got next then, Guy? I was trying to think of a good derby. (laughs) I couldn't think of one. But we have West Ham v Palace. Um, I mean, West Ham have started the season like really well. Um, Antonio looks different level this season, mm. and Crystal Palace. I I don't know. There's just so many more questions to answer. I mean, that obviously I haven't I haven't seen them yet on TV or anything like that, so I can't even see if they've developed at all. But so many new signings. Some of them haven't been able to play. Obviously, missing Eze, and I think Elise has missed every game as well. Yeah. They? But it you just look at West Ham, Antonio, Fornells, Benrahma, Bowen. That that just looks like a unit that I don't want to say propel them into the top four, but it could help maintain what they built on last season. For sure, for sure, and you know they've got that platform to play off with Rice and Suchek. You'd want them to sort out the defense. And it does look like Kurt Zuma is going to happen. Yeah. Zuma or Bowen um, should be good. Do you think? You'd you'd hope so. You'd hope so. I also think we could see some Zuma Issa Diop, um, which is a pairing I'd be interested in seeing. Mm. Um, I still think they need one more, but you know it is what it is. They definitely need more depth in midfield. They need to sort that out. Yeah. But yeah, I mean the the way Antonio's playing, the way the three boys behind him are playing, it's very very hard to see Palace being able to stop them. West Ham looked so good against um against Leicester and really, really good against Newcastle once they got going. It took them a bit of time to get going in that one, but when it starts to click, like, because you know, Fornals is kind of one pace, but he's really clever. He's got good movement and he's a really good passer of the ball. Ben Rama's a tricky player, good passer, great dribbler, scores a goal. 
And then you've got Bowen, who's got that pace, and he can get goals and stretches the field for them. It's a really good blend. And then you add in Antonio and what he brings. It's a very, very strong, well-balanced front four. Now, there's no depth behind Antonio, but they do have Yarmolenko and Lanzini to come in. So there's there's quality there. Like They've got six good players for four positions. Mm. You could definitely want a striker. They definitely need to get a striker in um, and that one in midfield to, to give some depth behind Suchek and Rice. But if they got those two along with Zuma, you'd have to really fancy them to maybe... They might not get sixth again, but they could push for Conference League again, you know, they got a good Europa League draw. Yeah, I was going to say. But yeah. they're going to have to play largely a first-choice team because they don't have any depth. Like, unless you're going to play Mark Noble in the in the games, which just... The guy can't play anymore. He can't run. Um, I'm surprised they've not gone for someone like Sander Berg. He seems to fit that I giant centre believe, midfield. I can't believe he's still at Sheffield United. Mm. I can't believe no one snapped. I can't believe Zambo and Gisa is still... Sitting at Fulham, I, so many things could do with both of them. Yeah, that's I'm not the Sheffield United like, started terribly, but yeah, that's the other thing is that they have started terribly. So you wonder if maybe with the window about to close, maybe this weekend he starts to have a little, a little push to get himself out. His agent starts pushing as well. So we'll see. He's definitely a Premier League caliber player, um, and he would be a good fit for West Ham. Mm. They don't. They don't have Winston Reid or Masawaka this weekend. They won't mind either of them because Winston Reid isn't in their plans, and Masawaka. I mean, the the guy's just. He's he's a really good attacking player uh, from left, but he can't defend at all. He's Albi Barkas Alonso. Basically, basically what he is. Um, for Palace, Elise is still out. Ezzy's still out. Milivojevic is still out. And Nathan Ferguson is out. He's probably done for the season with that. They've got two lads out with Achilles uh, Achilles tendon ruptures, which is really unfortunate. Um, it's hard to see how Palace get anything from this game. I think West Ham just look so confident in what they're doing. So well drilled under Moyes. And they just have that ultimate outball with Antonio where they can just launch it up to him. And it's taking two defenders every time to cope with them. And even then, they're often not able to cope with them. So I'm going to go... Hang on one sec. I'll go 4-0 West Ham. Ooh. Deed with me. Hmm. A quick question before we move on to the rest. Antonio, how has he gone from being a like a right back at times under Billich to being this? I've no idea. I really don't know. Because if he like, was playing striker all that time, I'd want him at Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, if he had been playing striker all that time, he wouldn't be at West Ham anymore. Someone else would have bought him. Um. Like, he's 31 now, and you look at the bizarre career he's had. He was in, like, his academy career was at Tooting and Mitcham. Not not a Premier League club, not even mm. a championship club. Tooting and Mitcham, who currently play in the Isthmian League South Central Division. The what? stadium is called the Imperial Fields in Morden. Like, <laughs> they're a small local club in a borough in London. They're not... Uh, he, he was there for six years and no one spotted him. Then he went to Reading. It didn't really go all that well. He spent most of his four years under contract Reading on loan with Tooting and Mitcham, Cheltenham Town, Southampton, Colchester and Sheffield Wednesday. He did well at Wednesday, so they bought him. Uh, he goes there for two years. He does okay. He goes to Forest. He does really well at Forest for the full season he was there. 49 games, 15 goals. Really, really well. And West Ham bought him for like 10 million, maybe? Somebody Seven million. Seven. Seven million. God. <laughs> he comes bad. in. He scores nine and 32, nine and 37, 
largely while playing in wide positions or as like you said as a fullback or wingback 21 sorry 3 and 21 he was injured quite a bit that season um like his goal record's not phenomenal like let's be fair he he scored i think is it 51 Premier League goals or something he scored for West yeah, Ham. Yeah, I think it was like forty. Like that's not great considering he's there seven years. He's not a great goal scorer. Like his his career best in the Premier League is ten. You know his best season for West Ham is ten. He's done that the last two years in a row. But he played twenty six games in both of those seasons. Mm. Um, he's not a big time goal scorer. But it's everything else that he does. Like for Liverpool, you could see him doing the Firmino role. Yeah. And just being an absolute horror show to play against. And then Salah and Mane scoring for fun. But, you know, he does what he does for West Ham and, and it's working for them really well. They just need to make sure they've got cover for him. But he's scoring this weekend. Like, he's going to bully Crystal Palace this weekend. I, I think he'd bully anyone, like, maybe except Van Dijk. <laughs> That's probably about it. Van Dijk, Slabhead's done all right against him in the past, but if he gets a run at him, he'll absolutely ruin him. Mm. Um, funnily enough, one of the lads that's done really well against him is actually about to sign for West Ham and Zuma. Yeah. Because Zuma is is very, very strong, very powerful, uh, really quick. Zuma's done well against him, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think... I think Antonio's up for a big season this year, though. I think he's already got three goals in the Premier League. So, if he doesn't get to 10 this season, it'll be because of injuries. Yeah, three already, Yeah, as you say. Anywho, we'll move on to the big... Is it already a six-point, or is it too early for that BS? Um, let's not. But Liverpool-Chelsea. Um, I mean, both have started the season perfectly. Obviously, Liverpool had two games you'd expect them to win. Um, so did Chelsea. Well, yeah, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> I always, it, it's when you say Arsenal, you always think it's old Arsenal, but it's not. Um, we've kind of bullied Arsenal this pod, but so did Lukaku last week. Um, but what what do you make of this one? It's it it's a huge game so early on in the season. It is. It is, and ideally, you'd have rather. From a Liverpool point of view, you'd rather have waited until Van Dijk was more, you know, more up to speed. But it is what it is. Um, Liverpool have Fabinho back in training. No James Milner. And Ox is still a doubt because obviously he just became a father. Um, For Chelsea, Pulisic is out, as is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. So they're... Pulisic could have started. I mean, he might have started in that team, but it's unlikely um, neither Milner or, or Ox would start for Liverpool with Fabinho back. So what I'm guessing we see is for Liverpool, Allison, Trent, Matip, Van Dijk, Robertson back into the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henderson, Fabinho, Naby, Salah, Jota, Mane, mm-hmm. and then for Chelsea. Mendy, centre-back is tough for them. I think you'll go Aspilicueta, Christensen, Rudiger, the same back three that played the last game. Reese James and Alonso as the wing-backs. Mm. Midfield is the interesting one, though. I, I think if Kante's fit, he'll start, if he's fully fit. If not, he'll stick Kovacic with, and uh, stick with Kovacic and Jorginho. If it's FIFA, Kante, I think... FIFA's men's player of the year, Jorginho, no? Yeah, yeah, fair play. Congratulations. Um, obviously, tremendous in the in the European Championships, and uh, and really important in Chelsea's run to win the Champions League. Um, I think he starts either way. I think it's him and either Kante yeah, or Kovacic, yeah, yeah. and then Mount plays ahead of them with Lukaku plus maybe Havertz, maybe Werner for a bit of extra pace. Either way. At Anfield, evening kickoff. I think Liverpool win the game two one. I think with the fans back, that will make a massive difference. I think Liverpool are looking pretty good at the moment. Obviously, played pretty well against Norwich, pretty well against Burnley. Two good wins. 
I'll go with I'll go with a two one home win. Yeah, I think this could be anything really. I think you've got till Man City's first eleven settles and whatever happens with Ronaldo crap. I think you've probably got the best first elevens considering City's injury injuries at the problem. Yeah, injury problems at the moment. I should say. Yeah, I think that's fair. I do think that's fair. Yeah. But like, well, hopefully Liverpool win. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that should be a, a huge game. Um, and if we lose, it's my fault because I'm on the post-match show. Um, next up, we move on to Sunday, and that is Burnley against Leeds, uh, the differing styles. But Leeds have, again, up and down, horrendous against United, a bit mixed against Everton, took a world to equalise. Burnley... <sighs> Barring, they played quite well against Liverpool in like little spurts, and the end of the game was quite manic. Um, but yeah, what two losses for them? And Brighton, they'll be more disappointed. But yeah, what, what do you make of this one? Yeah, I mean they should have gotten something from the Brighton game, but they looked exhausted in the second half. Um, McNeil caused Liverpool some real trouble in the uh, the game at Anfield, and they obviously had a couple of decent chances as well. But it is a bad start for them to lose too. But Leeds have looked poor. I mean, they, they were awful against United. They weren't great against Everton. Um, this is a tough one. This is such a contrast in styles as well. Because obviously, like, Dyche sets his team up 4-4-2. Defence, defence, defence. Try and, you know, grind teams down and just outwork them and create one or two opportunities and take take a chance. Whereas with Leeds, it's like a manic, high-intensity Let's create as many chances as we can. Let's take risks. Let's gamble. And I just think that might be the wrong approach against Burnley. Especially at Turf Moor. Narrow pitch. Leeds, I think Leeds want a more expansive piece of grass to play on. Leeds are really poor in the air defensively. And Chris Wood, I can see causing them a lot of problems. Now Burnley, Ashley Westwood and Vidra are doubts. Stevens and Long are out. For Leeds, it's only Robin Cock who's out. Everybody else looks to be fit. Now, whether Lauriente is fit enough to start or not, I don't know. But I am going to go with a 2-1 Burnley win. Uh, I, I just think Dyche will, Dyche will overcome in this one. Chris Wood against Cooper is... Is not ideal for Leeds in any way, shape or form. Poor Liam Cooper is not good enough at this level. Hmm. Yep, every time I've seen him, it's not not been an idea. Uh, moving on then to Spurs against Watford. Um, Spurs had a, a perfect record. Yeah, yeah, in the league, two wins two. Did they, they lost to the they Portuguese team? The, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, the Conference League. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Care. They'll wallop them in the second leg. Yeah. Um, but anywho, I mean, Spurs look all right. They've still got Harry Kane to come back. Looks like they're trying to do a. A bit of late business in the window with a midfielder. I think Allegri said probably not Weston McKenney because he likes him, but money talks. Um, and Watford, who just kind of looked a bit lost against Bright- uh, yeah, Brighton at times. But, Brighton, yeah. Uh, good win against Villa, but so many options going forward. Um, yeah, it should click at some point, but Spurs, so Spurs have looked quite good in the Premier League, to be fair. They have. I mean, they have. They looked good against um, City. They played well against Wolves. It was a bit of a dour game, but it was, you know, it would, they set out to get a result. Nuno's football is not particularly fun anyway. But uh, Delhi's playing really well. Son is playing really well. Like you said, Kane is, is likely back for this one's a heel start, um, which gives them a big goal threat. You wouldn't fancy Watford's defence mm-hmm. a whole bunch against this uh, Spurs attack. Watford, no Gosling, no Fo- no Ben Foster, no Jair Pedro, uh, Kuka and Chalaba, both doubts. Uh, Will Hughes on his way out the door, yeah. heading for Crystal Palace. And it looks like Moose's Isoko could be moving from Spurs <laughs> to <best> Watford, <laughs> which is a great move for Spurs. I don't know what Watford are thinking. Uh, no Joe Roden, no Cameron Carter-Vickers for... Spurs, Endembele's fit, whether he'll be played or not, we don't know. Um, I, I think if he's still there after the transfer window closes, then he starts to get games and he mm. can play his way in. Spurs should win this. At home, 
they're the better team. They've got much better players. I do think they'll need to be aware of Ishmael Asar being a big threat. Yeah. Hernandez has looked impressive in the last two games when he's come on. So he'll add something to that Watford team as well. But overall, defensively they're weak. Midfield's not great. You would expect that Spurs will have too much. I'll go 3-0 Spurs. Oh, yeah. I think with Kane coming back. That's that's the big yeah, thing. Yeah. Take advantage of what is it, Cavaselli and... Is it Kafka? I don't even really know. That Carton. Is yeah, that Chilean centre-back? I remember London, yeah. Um, anywho, we'll move on to the last game before the dreaded international break, just as the season gets started. Thank you, FIFA slash UEFA. Um, Wolves, Man United. Um, I mean, by all, Man United, we've seen uh, tonked leads because I don't know what leads were doing. It wasn't football. And then a disappointing draw with Southampton. But by all accounts, I've not seen Wolves play yet, but they seem to be like a lot more entertaining going forward. But again, no end product. Basically, yeah, they're struggling to finish. They're they're getting a lot of shots away, but they're just not getting many on target. But you do have to imagine at some point they will start to hit the targeting and goals will flow. And they scored a couple during the week in the in the League Cup, um, so that was a plus. But I I think this is going to be a tight game. Um, I, I'm curious to see what way United line up, whether this is the game we finally see Varane, whether this is a game we see Sancho. Rashford is out, Cavani's out, Bailey's out, or Bailly rather, uh, McTominay's out, Dean Henderson, Alex Tellez, and Phil Jones all out. So quite a few injuries, though you'd imagine Jones, Tellez, Bailly, at best, are bench players. It was, sorry, at best, at, yeah, at best would make the bench. They might not even. Henderson, we don't know who the first-choice goalkeeper is yet. Um, McTominay and Edinson Cavani are mostly squad players, like rotational players. Uh, Rashford's any real starter mm. who's out. So To be fair, too the way Fred played last week, I think McTominay might be the starter now. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a very fair point. Now, for Wolves, um, Willie Bolly is out. Pedro Neto, Johnny Otto. Hugo Buena and Yerson Mosquera is out. Wolves are going to be have issues defensively, but they will cause United problems going forward. And Adama, I think, will do... I think Adama will cause trouble for United. Um, I've just seen that a Tottenham season ticket holder aged 106 has passed away. Um, so Irene McBride, that's a proper Irish name as well. Irene McBride, um, rest in peace. Anyway, um, I do think this will be a tight game. I'm going to go 1-1 United once again to struggle on the road because I think United will struggle against teams who, who don't open up against them. And Wolves won't open up. Wolves will try and play them on the counter-attack. So I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. Last week I went 6-4. Six, 6 correct, 4 incorrect. I'm going to keep track of them properly this year. And... Um, and see how we do over the course of the season. But that's it then. That is all 10 games. We're going to wrap up quickly with the gossip because why not on a Friday? Manchester City have agreed a deal with Juventus to bring in Cristiano Ronaldo, according to AS. Juventus want between 25 and 30 million euros, with City expected to offer him a two-year deal. That's from The Guardian. Uh, the Italian club has expect, ex- had expected Ronaldo to stay, but are keen to sign... Gabriel Jesus. Now, late, latest reports are that Gabriel Jesus is no longer available, but Raheem Sterling could be, which is a weird one. Um, Cristiano is demanding 510 grand a week. He's going to get the highest wage at the club anyway. Uh, Juventus are interested in re-signing Moise Keane from Everton on a loan with an obligation to buy. That's, we mentioned that earlier. Liverpool have, have inquired about signing East Basima from Brighton. I mean, they could have done that months ago, so you know the, the only reason they do that now is if they're being too cheap to actually go and get the fellow they do want. Wolves have rejected a loan bid from Tottenham for Adama Traore. Um, yeah, Tottenham are being very cheeky with that one. West Ham are targeting Nikola Vlasic. That was mentioned yesterday. I think he's a good, a really good player, but he's not really what they need at the minute. Um, Watford have opened talks with Tottenham over a move from Mrs. Soko. mentioned that one earlier on. Paris Saint-Germain are targeting a number of players, including Paul Pogba and Erling Haaland, as they prepare for a season without Kylian Mbappe. 
That could be an interesting thing to watch as well. If they spend some of that Mbappe money on Pogba, what do United do? Um, I actually think that what they will, what PSG will do is spend some of it on Camavinga. Um, I think that's more likely than, than Pogba personally. Uh, Real Madrid have made an improved offer. Yeah, we know these things. Um, da, 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 da. PSG will target Richarlison if Mbappe leaves. Yeah, that's fine. Manchester United have missed out on signing Noni Mudeki after he signed a new deal at PSV Eindhoven. I don't know how you can miss out on signing a player you hadn't made an offer for or inquired about. That's a very strange thing for the Daily Mirror to write, but it is the Daily Mirror, so you know it is what it is. Tottenham and England captain Harry Kane is in talk are in talks over a new contract. Uh, this is magnificent. The striker is hoping for a deal worth up to four hundred thousand a week after committing to stay at the club. It's brilliant. Get every penny you can. Uh, Chelsea are close to signing Jules Conde. Not according to Sevilla, they're not. Not according to Sevilla. Uh, meanwhile, Blues defender Kurt Zuma will undergo medical in France today uh, before sealing a five-year move for £26 million. Tottenham have opened talks over a £40 million move for Weston McKenney. If they pay £40 million for player Juventus, I think £16 million for in like March, they will be out of their minds. Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta has ruled out the possibility of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang leaving the club. It's because no one wants him because his contract is obnoxious. Everton are interested in Neil Mopay. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't believe that to be true. Toffees have also set to make an improved bid for Daniel Jebison. Again, I think Sheffield United need to say no and just make sure they keep him. Keep him. Keep Brewster. If they can keep Berger, keep that Koulibaly kid they own, bring him back off that stupid loan they sent him on. And there's four players you can build around moving forward. Manchester United may target a central midfielder before the transfer window closes, but may have to wait for England and West Ham's Declan Rice. In which case, um, they're not going to buy a midfielder. If Declan Rice is the one they want, they're not going to buy somebody else in the interim, are they? Like, let's be serious with this. So they may just wait then. They might just go and try and get Kieran Trippier again. And if not, I think they'll stick with what they have. That's it then. That is the show. Thank you to Mr. Drinkle. Thank you to you for listening. Enjoy your weekends and uh, be careful. Take care. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.